This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome back to Rotowire Signature NHL Hockey Pod Podcast with Statsman and AJ, brought to you by PropSwap. Friends, I'm Paul Bruno in Toronto, Ontario, and you can follow me at Statsman22. My co-host is AJ Scholes, who's a great follow at AJ Scholes24, back in the co-host chair in Madison, Wisconsin. AJ, there were a number of small deals uh, again last week, but uh, there are other implications for a couple of them, I think. And uh, why don't you talk about the second Pens deal off their offseason first, my friend? Yeah, so, uh, you know, Pittsburgh sends uh, Nick Bugstad to Minnesota um, for a conditional seventh-round pick. So I've joked that they traded him for, for a bag of pucks here. Um, he has to play 70 games or score 35 points uh, in order for uh, that that seventh round pick to go so you know it's it's really a salary dump um, I was a little surprised to see that you know Pittsburgh retained half of that uh, that salary uh, I was surprised that it wasn't necessarily a buyout option instead um, but I, I think this is one of those implications of kind of the COVID um, financial situation now you know a buyout I think makes more sense in certain in terms of cap savings they would have saved uh, nearly 3.5 million against the cap but you still would have been paying out um, you know in in real dollars you still would have been paying out uh, 3.5 million whereas by trading him they're only going to pay out 2.1 million for for one year so they're actually saving more real dollars on this deal so I do think the, the part of the reason for the trade and not just the, the buyout is that they uh, had to consider, you know, that real dollar uh, hit there, which which is kind of interesting to see. You know, knowing uh, just our luck with Nick Bukestad, he'll play 69 games and score 34 points, uh, you know, just get right up to the threshold there and, and, and not do it. I mean, from the Minnesota side, why not take a flyer on this guy, right? He's got one year left. He's, you know, supposedly healthy. Bill Gurion knows him. Um, so, it, and you don't lose anything. If he plays, if he doesn't play in enough games, you don't give up anything to have had him. Um, you're getting him for half of his normal cap hit. I mean, so for Minnesota, this makes a lot of sense. For Pittsburgh, it's a salary dump. Um, you know, it is what it is. They, they got to do what they got to do. Um, I don't think he ever really fit in with, with the pens overall, though injuries really prevented us from really seeing what he could have done. Yeah, I agree with you. This is a low-risk move by Minnesota, and they kind of have to do that. This is an older club that's trying to transition into younger legs, and this is effectively a season-long tryout for Bukestad to try and rehabilitate his career in a pretty nice little situation, and it really doesn't cost Minnesota very much at all. So uh, the the need to be creative forced them to do this, and certainly they were a willing partner for a Pittsburgh team that is trying to shuffle the deck here and free up some dough a lot of teams are trying to do this so this could be the portent of a a number of similar deals that we're going to see down the road where teams take on risk and uh, other teams shed salary and uh, the the cost 
for some of the deal, these deals won't be very high. In a second separate and a separate move, the Can- Hurricanes and Canadians got together on a deal, AJ, that sees Montreal acquiring Joel Edmondson in exchange for a fifth round draft pick in the upcoming amateur draft. Now, the Canadians have a boatload of draft picks and uh, they moved one to get a, a guy who I think is going to add some depth and some quality on the defensive side of the puck, particularly in defense of their own end and, and protecting their their expensive duo of goaltenders. So that was the motivation for them. I'm uh, not sure what the Cal- Carolina is up to here. Uh, maybe you can shed some light on that aspect, but the Canadians I think making a smart depth move and maybe positioning themselves to make another deal that might see a guy like a Brent Kulak going uh, out, out of the organization and seeing if they can recoup that traffic or other assets yeah i mean i think the the biggest thing here is you know the the cost of it right so um edmondson edmondson is going to be a uh unrestricted free agent you know coming up here at, in the start of october so montreal basically gets a, a couple months or not even like a, less than a month to to maybe negotiate a deal with him get him to sign i have to imagine that you know they're at least close and at least have talked if they're willing to make that trade uh from the carolina side i think it's just they've got so much depth and clearly i think they would prefer uh potentially sammy Vatnin to re-sign with them uh rather than than edmondson so uh i I think it makes sense they are getting a fifth round pick for a guy that probably was going to walk in free agency here anyway Uh, They also have Hayden Fleury up and coming. So they've got a a wealth of talent on the blue line. From the Montreal side, um, I think the biggest impact for me is what does this mean for a guy like Victor Mete? You know, you look at who they currently have under under contract. um, You know, they've got Shea Weber, Jeff Petrie, technically Carl Alsner. They'll they'll bury him in the minors again, I'm sure. Uh, Ben Sherratt, Brett Kulak, and then uh, Alexander Romanoff from – from overseas so where does Victor Mete fit into this mix I I don't know honestly he might you know he might be somebody that they try and trade right you know you mentioned Brett Kulak and certainly I think he has some value there he's under contract for this upcoming season and one more Um, but Mete is going to be an RFA uh, and maybe they're willing to move him he's 22 years old so he could represent um, you know a, a, a piece that that someone else is is interested in so maybe you know, bring in maybe a, a more veteran guy. Edmondson still has plenty of years left in the tank. He's only 27. Um, but yeah, I, I'll be curious to see where Victor Mete lands. Does he re-sign in Montreal or do they ship his rights out somewhere else? Yeah, and the Canadians, they have a lot of wiggle room compared to some of the other teams. They've got still almost $13 million under the cap to to make some moves and uh, maybe sign a couple of their own cheaper uh, RFAs, but uh, certainly look outside the organization. They can get involved in some of the bidding for a lot of free agents that are going to be out there. So, uh, Mark Bergevin, I expect him to be busy and certainly uh, in the middle of some headlines that we'll see in this offseason, AJ. Um, before we go on with the rest of the show, that we want to tease the fact that we're going to end the show today a little bit differently. So, you want to hang on to the end where we're going to go through a lot of rumors that we're seeing in the trade market. Uh, that's going to heat up over the next little while, AJ. So, can't wait to get into that. But before we do, we got to give a nod to our uh, new sponsor, uh, PropSwap, where we'll remind people the smart better knows where to find the best offs before placing a bet. That's why we always use PropSwap. And I'm looking on the board today. They've covered all the sports, of course, but we're going to focus on hockey. And they've got uh, something up here for the New York Islanders where the odds are almost 10 to 1 to collect. And so for a $500 ticket, for example, you'd collect 5400 bucks. That looks like a more palatable possibility now that they are a mere two wins away from the Stanley Cup final if they can continue uh, to come back from the deficit that they carved for themselves earlier on. They had a, a, sec- a double overtime win last night that we'll get into shortly. But the point here is if they win two more games, that bet's going to look a lot sweeter, AJ, when, uh, if they could make it into the finals to face the Dallas Stars. That could be a, a soccer-like Stanley Cup final with the, a lack of scoring and the defensive acumen of both clubs. But the point here is a big payday awaits you if you want to get involved on the prop swap side of things here. It's obvious prop swap customers always find the best odds because you're buying directly from other bettors just like yourself. So come join us. Prop swap is the edge you're, you've been looking for. Don't delay. Go to PropSwap.com today. AJ, what do you think about that bet uh, does it become a lot more attractive if the Islanders get another win? See how it swings. 
Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, I just looked, there's about nine uh, Islanders to win the Stanley Cup tickets uh, that are available up on PropSwap right now. And, and certainly it'd be worth, uh, in my opinion, maybe placing a, a bid or two here. You know, obviously uh, other bettors out there are trying to, to dump their tickets and, and maybe recoup some of the, the money that they put out. Um, you know, to your point, obviously these are to win the Stanley Cup. So uh, the, the bets doesn't pay off if, even if they, you know, win this, <laughs> win this round and, and come back. So it's a little bit of a riskier play, but there's, like I said, there's a number of tickets for the Islanders to win the Stanley Cup. You could throw in a, a low price bid on some of these and, and maybe, to, you know, take uh, take a little bit of risk on that somebody else is, is clearly trying to dump. All right. Well, let's get into the rest of today's show, AJ. Uh, as I said, we're going to review uh, the conference finals to date. Uh, but later, we're going to talk about these trade possibilities. Before we do any of that, we need you to remind our listeners how to get in touch with us. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, if you have any questions about, you know, about fantasy hockey, regular hockey, uh, lineup decisions, if you want what we think is, a, you know, if you want to ask us if you're on PropSwap and you're looking at one of these tickets and bidding for one and, and want to get our take on it, we are happy to interact with all of our listeners. Uh, you can follow me at AJ Schultz 24 and you can follow Paul the Statsman at Statsman22 over on Twitter. All right, guy, let's get into the the two series that are going on in the conference. Well, one is going on, one is over, but uh, we thought we would be smart here and delay our podcast this week, thinking that the the second one would be over last night. Instead, the Islanders didn't cooperate and extended uh, the series. Let's see what's going on between them and Tampa. AJ, we both have Tampa winning in six, and uh, if they win the next game, that's the way it lines up effectively. But where we left off last week, Tampa Bay eked out a 2-1 win with Kucherov scoring a winner with nine seconds left in game two. I thought that was a real dagger for the Islanders, and in that game, Hedman and Kucherov with the goals. Hedman's been a tower of power for for Tampa throughout these playoffs. Goodrow, a, a fine addition, one of those key moves that they made at the deadline to change kind of the focus of their the bottom six and make them more rugged to play against. And Ryan McDonough, a guy who has been overlooked, I would say, when it, when it comes to potential impact players on Tampa. The, people forget how long he played with the Rangers, AJ, and was a key part of their defense. And he's fit right in with, uh, with the, the Bolts here and been a real factor in these playoffs. On the other side of the coin, Semyon Varlamov has played the bulk of the games. He stopped 19 of 21 in that game, uh, particularly Matt Martin scoring his fifth goal of these playoffs, AJ. Uh, w- give me a word or two about what you think about the uh, the performance of a guy like a Matt Martin or a Barkley Goodrow uh, in, in this series so far. Well, as far as Barkley Goodrow, I mean, the, the, you know, the kind of old adage has been yeah, you add guys at the the deadline because that's what you're supposed to do. But then these guys don't really do much for you. Um, you know, if you look historically, some of these bigger trades don't necessarily move the needle. I would say that has not been the case for Tampa Bay. You've got Barkley Goudreau, who's been um, you know contributing in in a third line role. His numbers aren't out. You know, they're not outrageous, um, but he's chipping in here and there, dishing out hits, playing a much more physical style. Of, of game and the same on the other side for them with with Blake Coleman who's been a little bit more offensively production uh, productive as well he's got you know three points in this series uh, so really they they made minor moves you know I don't think anybody saw these two trades that they made and thought oh that's what's going to take Tampa Bay to to the you know the promised land here but it it is definitely working out for them you know and a guy like Matt Martin is a great plugger um, for your bottom six that can add some physicality to the game yeah when you get into these series you know I I love speed as a as a way to play the game and I really enjoy fast uh fast hockey but I think there when you get into a seven game series you still need these guys that can dish out some hits and, and be a little bit more physical, grind out points. You know, uh, Matt Martin's got a goal and an assist here. And that's from grinding out and, you know, doing the hard work and, and forcing the other team into making mistakes. And you need these guys in, in long series like this. 
In Game 3, the Islanders flipped the script a bit, though. Varlamov leading them with 34 saves and 37 shots. Uh, they won 5-3 to three in that game. Tampa made it tight in the third period. This was a real back-and-forth affair. Tampa erased a, a two-goal deficit in the third period before Brock Nelson broke the tie with less than four minutes remaining. The goal scorers, Peugeot, Nelson, Beauvillier with a goal and assist. Pelican Clutterbuck adding singles. Bailey, with an outstanding playoff, continued to produce with an assist. Pollock has had a very nice playoff, picking up another assist. And there's Matt Martin showing up on the sheet. Uh, Barzal and Taves also picking up helpers. Uh, in this game, AJ, for me, uh, the focus for, was, was Brock Nelson. And it highlights the depth that the Islanders have on that, that center position and really an advantage uh, that they would have uh, looking ahead even into next year with Barzal, Nelson, and Peugeot. Three really good offensive pieces in the middle of the ice uh, tilting the scales in, in their favor uh, with a banged-up uh, Tampa squad on the other side of the equation. For Tampa in this one, Sergachev got a goal and assist. Johnson had a goal. Palat had a goal. Kucherov continued to find playoff. Yanni Gourd, another one of those third-line players factoring in as well. We go to game four, though, and Tampa regained control of this set, and I think all but put the Islanders on the precipice. Islanders did score first, but two goals in 12 seconds within that that goal swung the momentum in this one, AJ. This was all done uh, in a very short time span. What were your observations of game four that, uh, that you would like to share with our listeners? Yeah, I, I, I'm going to echo what you said about, you know, the Islanders depth down the middle. And, and again, a, a trade deadline acquisition, this one a little bit more high profile with, with Jean-Gabriel Pajot. Um, but really it, it makes them hard to match up. And look for Islanders fans out there, you know, couple more games here and then maybe you're in the Stanley Cup final maybe not but if it doesn't work out for the Islanders this year uh, I would feel really encouraged about where this team is headed um, you know imagine a full season of, of Pajot as your your third line center I mean that's just going to be uh, very hard for other teams to match up with plus next year you get you know your highly touted guy Ilya Sorokin in, in between the pipes here um, so everything is looking up for them, regardless of how this series plays out. Uh, obviously, uh, I've had some concerns with the blue line, but they play that Barry Trotz style, so they don't really need to contribute offensively that much. So, look, if it doesn't work out for the Islanders, there, there is uh, things to look forward to, and I think that was on display in that game. All right, game five then. Braden Point missed the game with an injury, so they're, they're missing their top two of their top six players in Tampa and that when you consider Stamkos still on the sidelines still they dragged this game to a second overtime last night but uh, Jordan Eberle a guy that I think is blessed with a high hockey IQ made a really smart play to jump into the play and and on a two-on-one and fired a one-timer that uh, Varlamov couldn't uh, Vasilevsky couldn't handle and uh, got the series a little bit tighter than uh, than most people thought that this was going to be the last game in this set we were certainly wondering ourselves but uh, give the islanders credit they played typical islanders hockey limiting tampa to only 24 shots in almost four and a half periods that to me was a telltale sign that they were able to do what they do when they put their vice-like grip on a game and they did it last night aj uh, your thoughts on on that particular contest yeah, I think, you know, we're going to see. Uh, I, I think that first game was a, an aberration, right? I just don't think we're going to see that much goal scoring uh, through throughout the, you know, however many more games we get out of this. You know, you got Vasilevsky on one side. He's putting up phenomenal numbers. Uh, has, you know, only uh, it was only game three is the only one of his last uh, uh, eight games in which he's given up more than two goals. I mean, this guy has been. Uh, on top of his game over that stretch. And so it's going to take solid play by Varlamov to keep the, you know, keep the Islanders close enough. I I think Varlamov probably has to limit it to one, maybe two goals allowed if they're going to win any more games here, because Vasilevsky certainly isn't going to be beaten for that many that often. Yeah. And the key note though, is Braden point listed still as day-to-day aj the the injury is undisclosed and it's still too early according to john cooper to determine whether he'll be available for game six so that could really be a telltale sign because then against that three threesome that we highlighted with the islanders you're looking at the likes of anthony sorelli tyler johnson and yanni gourd for the bolts and uh, that's a big check mark in favor of the islanders that uh, 
maybe they draw a little bit closer as long as Bradenport Point's uh, health is a little uncertain. I think that fans the flames of hopes for for Islanders fans out there. But uh, let's go to the other side and and take a look at what happened here in a series where we we were both fooled by the outcome. We had Vegas coming out of, of this series, and uh, it it certainly didn't did not go their way despite the fact that. We left off last week with Dallas winning the first game. Vegas shut them out in the second game by a score of three to nothing. Robin Leonard cementing his legacy in in uh, in uh, Vegas for the next little while. I think earning that fourth shutout of these playoffs. This guy's going to be their number one goalie next year. I I think AJ. Uh, the the rumors are all out there that Mark Andre Fleury is being shopped around. That's a big ticket that he's got for seven million a year. But sticking with this game, uh, the score was three nothing. But there were uh, they were uh, score the goals were scored in a short span in the second period. Stastny, Carlson, and Nosek with the, with the goals. Pacioretty and Theodore among the five players who collected assists in this game. Anton Kudobin, 24 saves in 27 shots. The best was yet to come for him, though. Um, what did you think about uh, the chances for Vegas after Game 2, AJ? It certainly looked a lot better than it turned out. Yeah, definitely. You know, it, it it appeared that they bounced back. You know, they I didn't think other than offensively, um, I didn't think they had a terrible game in game one. You know, they lost one nothing. You've got Flurry only giving up one goal in that game. And then you go with Leonard in game two. He doesn't give up any goals. I mean, that's looking pretty nice, right? You're you're set up well. Um, the, you know, the one maybe red flag to me in that, in that three, nothing game, and, and maybe it's hindsight being what it is, but the goals came from Stastny, Carlson and Nosek. I mean, you're, yes, you got an assist from Pacioretty, but where, where was he, you know, where, uh, you know, where was March assault? And I think if you really wanted to dive into it at that time, those should have been some red flags for all of us, um, looking at that game. And, and I think it was indicative of what we saw the rest of the series. And we, what we saw in the rest of the series was a, a trio of one-goal efforts with one team coming out on top and waiting for the other series to wind up. But let's go through those games, AJ. Game three was a 3-2 overtime thriller. Alexander Radulov winning it only 31 seconds into the overtime. It's amazing how many times overtime ends within the first five minutes uh, of a period when you see teams struggling to score for stretches of the third frame and then it uh, it changes all of a sudden with a mistake or a, somebody making a superb effort in this case it was Radulov uh, who rattled off the game-winning goal how about that that's terrible <laughs> <laughs> Anton Kudobin though he turned up the heat uh, 38 saves and 40 shots this guy was a backup goalie this year for the stars and uh, he's emerging as a candidate for the con Smythe trophy as the most valuable player in these playoffs i loved his reaction when they won the, won the series but uh, he started to really show how hard it was going to be to get goals against him again in the last three of these games aj and that was just the first of of those efforts and to your point uh, about the big scorers mark stone registering a goal and assist he was he was the one guy among the stars for vegas that i think really tried to deliver the goods uh, a lot of the other guys fell short but I don't think you could put Stone in that camp for me on the flip side uh, Jamie Alexiak was a guy I thought was going to have a big playoff for Dallas and he certainly turned out to contribute again with a goal along with uh, Jamie Ben and and Radloff's helper of course uh, Radloff's goal of course so um, it, it looked like Dallas really gained control of this set at that point they added back that up with a 2-1 win in game four all the scoring in the middle frame of that one uh, Pavelski and uh, Ben with the goals Cogliano Radulov and Klingberg with the assist for uh, for them uh, Robin Leonard had only eight 20 shots in this game so it started to show how really Vegas was limiting the shots on goal but they weren't capitalizing at the other end they outshot Dallas 33 to 20 that was a theme in this series AJ where Kudobin uh, out, outworked Leonard uh, in the, these three games and really was the key factor uh, and you really got got that message loud and clear in the last three games of this set but uh, these two in a row that we talked about he stopped 70 of 73 shots yeah you know the the thing is you you look at the numbers I I get the offense was was bad but Robin Leonard was not great in uh, you know games three and four here uh, you know, a 
save percentage in, in game three, just a 900 save percentage in, in game four. Um, you know, it, it wasn't, in, in my opinion, it wasn't a good performance by him. Again, would you have liked some more offense? Well, certainly, of course, especially with all the talent that they have on that team. Um, so if I'm pinpointing, you know, one area that I think lost them these games, it is probably the offense. I think that's fair to say, but I don't believe that the net mining was as good as it could have been. Um, we'll, I'll talk about that more when we get to game five here, but um, you know, I, I think the overtime loss, as we've seen in a lot of series, can be it kind of takes the, the wind out of your sails. You know, they had the, the game to win. They're riding high. I think if game three goes the other way, if they win it in overtime, then maybe we're talking about a different series here. Now, I'm not sure Vegas wins, but, you know, we're thinking maybe it's still going. Maybe we're headed into a game seven down the road. And I really think it just kind of took the wind out of the Golden Knights sails. They were okay in Game Four, but it, it wasn't a, a, a spectacular outing. I, I don't believe. Now, AJ, I left Game Five separate from Three and Four because I know you were thinking that Vegas would switch to Mark Andre Fleury. I already let the cat out of the bag when I said Leonard looks to be their, the guy they're committed to next season. I think they underlined that by the fact that he started in this game again after after those two tight losses uh, and a low shot total. Before we get into that game. What, what does your head say? I know what your heart thinks, but what does your head say about that decision uh, to start Leonard again? Well, I mean, I, I kind of just outlined that. You're, you're in a win-or-go-home game. You've got one guy who I get, it sounds like he's the preferred choice of Pete DeBoer, and he's the guy that's potentially going to be going for them into the future. That's all well and good, but you have a guy that over two games – uh, the last two games has a .884 save percentage, has given up five goals on 43 shots. You have to win if you're going to go home, and you're going to leave the guy whose name is engraved on the Stanley Cup three times on the bench? That just doesn't make sense to me. I'm sorry. I, I Again, I may be a little bit of bias. You know, uh, I'm a huge Marc-Andre Fleury fan, always will be. I make no bones about that, but it just doesn't make sense. You have, one, you have to win this game, and this is a guy – that has won at the highest level three times, and you're going to put him on the bench for somebody who's clearly struggling. I mean, it's it's there's no argument about it. You look at the numbers; they're not great. So switch up the goaltending, and even if even if it's not a Leonard thing, right? There are times when you change the goaltending, and the the rest of the team gets the message, and they start performing better. This was bad coaching, in my opinion, and and I uh, have refrain from uh, borrowing from Gerard Gallant, but I'm going to use it here. I think Pete DeBoer is a clown, and I think he made a clown decision here in not starting Marc-Andre Fleury in Game 5. You know what? I echo your sentiments. You've got to change things up, in a, particularly in a tight series. You're looking for that, that one slight thing that might turn the tables in your favor, and you know that, that uh, Marc-Andre Fleury is extremely popular in that dressing room, and, and it would give the, the rest of the team a bit of a shot in the arm to say, He's, our, he's been our signature player, the face of the franchise, and uh, we want to play well in front of him. And uh, Fleury, you know, would, be, would have been charged uh, up to, to deliver the goods as best he could in that setup. But it didn't go that way, and the net result was a 3-2 overtime win for Dallas. Uh, Denis Gurionov continuing to emerge as a part of the next wave of, of frontline players here to bolster a top six that looks pretty exciting uh, all of a sudden in Dallas. Jamie Benn, the wily veteran and captain of this team, scoring as well Joel Kibaranta uh, pick up picking up another goal the rookie has had a very nice playoff but uh, on uh, in terms of the helpers you see the big names again uh, Klingberg to assist rattle off with a helper Gurianov and Hintz these are all the signature players that Dallas has offensively and they all factored into the scoring and again the theme on the other side of it was the goals were from Stevenson and Riley Smith where were the big names? Uh, again, they were left wanting, and uh, they left Vegas wanting for uh, answers at the end of this series. A, a stunning five-game exit for them, I think. And uh, credit to Dallas, though, for uh, grinding it out and advancing to the next round, AJ. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the thing is, Dallas is getting everything you need right now. You're getting production from your big stars. You're getting amazing goaltending, and you're getting production from unknown guys like Joel Kibaranta. Like how many people knew that name even 
uh, a month ago when we started the postseason. I don't I I knew it because I had to shuffle it around on the depth chart at Rotowire. But other than that, you know, I didn't know much about this this kid. And so uh, really, I, I, I think there's there's nothing going wrong for Dallas right now. And uh, they are going to be a tough team to beat for whoever it is, whether it's the Lightning or, or the Islanders. This Dallas club is not going to be an easy out. And uh, let's take a look at the potential matchups, AJ. Just a quick uh, thumbnail, because we probably won't be able to do a show before that series does unfold. But uh, the key for me is how healthy is is Tampa going to be if they survive this set? Uh, They really took a blow at center ice uh, with Stamkos being out at the beginning of the playoffs. But boy, if if Point is is out for any length of time, they could be in some serious trouble uh, in that final series. And and otherwise, I think they match up extremely well against Dallas. I think they have at least as much offensive talent if they can get all hands on deck. And maybe if it goes the other way, Stamkos is healthy. Maybe he does appear in that final round and, and uh, Tampa gets that offensive boost. But you said Vasilevsky has been on the top of his game throughout this postseason. And not to be overlooked uh, is the netminder there. But they are using a seven-man defense as well, AJ, which is something that a lot of teams are not doing. Uh, what's your thumbnail on Tampa going forward? We'll go through each team. Yeah, I, I think health is is absolutely going to be the key. I don't know that they're going to last, um, especially if, if, this, if the current series, if the Eastern Conference Finals goes seven games, and point is still out. Now, the the one upside of it going seven games is maybe that gives Stamkos more time. He's been skating with the team, although they don't sound overly optimistic that he'll be back anytime soon. But the longer the conference finals goes, the more likely he'll be available in the, the Stanley Cup final. So maybe it could work in their favor. But I just don't know how long that they can last if, if point is out for any extended time. Um, so I, I agree with you though. I think they match up well in terms of depth. Um, you know, they're, I, you know, already talked about their third line. I love what they have there. They've got the offensive guys and the, the defensive guys combinations going for them on the blue line and, and top net mining it. This is a series that if it was the lightning against Dallas, you could see this going either like, Game one could be an offensive juggernaut. Then game two could be like a one one nothing game. And it could just bounce back and forth because I think both these teams are well equipped to play either a shootout or a defensive style of, of, of game. Yeah, while, while you say that about them, I think there's no, no question that the Islanders' bread and butter is playing a defensive style of game and keeping things close. And uh, I already spoke about the three-headed monster at center ice. That gives them a nice bit of depth in the middle of the ice. And then Leo Komarov anchoring a fourth unit. He can play all over the place, too. And uh, so they're getting contributions from all over the roster on the, uh, on the island. But to me, it's the defensive structure of this team that will take them, has taken them this far and can take them right to the, right to the presentation of the cup if things fall the right way for them so uh, I, I don't count them out yet and, and nobody should count out a team that's coached by Barry Trotz and managed by Lou Lamorello these are two sly foxes who have really cobbled together something of a int- very interesting team that bucks the trend of, of having a high octane offense and really knows that defense wins championships yeah I totally agree uh, and I, I think um you know, I think they can still score, but I, I think you would be less likely to see uh, a shootout game, some sort of 7-6 shootout game or whatever between uh, the Islanders and, and the Stars. I, I, I agree. I think they're more defensively minded. Um, but either way, I think it's going to be a great series. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure if the NHL powers that, uh, that be were picking, it would have been the Golden Knights uh, against perhaps... Uh, the lightning if they were picking from the four remaining teams but as far as like hockey fans and us getting to watch quality hockey uh, I don't really think it matters I think we're going to get a great series regardless of who comes out of the east and then let's talk about the team that has come out of the west the Dallas Stars and uh, the emerging uh, youngsters have really bolstered uh, the attack here they were one of the the lowest scoring teams entering the postseason but they got great production from the depth of this roster and it's some of the names that we mentioned uh Kivaranta and Gorianov really uh pushing this team 
to to be a, one of the highest scoring teams actually that we've seen in the postseason and when you combine that with the stout defense that this team that's the signature of this team AJ uh, with the likes of Lindell Oleksiak and Klingberg and Heisken and that's a really good top four that can play it at both ends of the ice with with flair and and productivity and we've seen that throughout this postseason but uh, the emergence of Anton Kudobin for me has been one of the signature stories of this postseason if you would have said that Ben Bishop was out of the lineup uh, to start this playoff and they were going to rely on their backup goalie I thought okay maybe one round but he's he's played exceptionally well and got them on the on the they're going to be on the ice when the cup uh, is decided so kudos to them and kudos to him for uh, being one of the stars of this postseason pun intended there Paul I'm sure exactly (laughs) kudos and kudobin (laughs) yeah I mean uh, talk about a guy who has earned himself some money this offseason. Uh, I'm, I'm sure Dallas will want to bring him back, but he will be an unrestricted free agent. Now, he is 34 years of age. I think he would be better suited in a split net mining situation. I don't think um, you know he's quite uh, set up to be a, an every single night guy for a team. I don't expect him, whether it's with Dallas or somewhere else, to be a guy that plays 65 games in a year. Um, but I think he could end up somewhere as a, as a full-time starter and maybe play closer to 50 or 55 games in a season. Um, you know, those numbers especially are going to be down next year if we're working on a condensed schedule. So maybe he hangs around in Dallas and we see him and Bishop almost at an even, you know, 41-41 split. It's, it's certainly not out of the, the realm of possibility. Um, but he's definitely earned himself a pay raise, that's for sure. His salary will no doubt be going up next year. And that's despite the fact that he's 34 years of age. He'll be 35 when the league resumes. But uh, he's done enough to show me there's uh, there's something left in the tank. And you said it. There's going to be a need for two goalie systems around the league. So there is one final payday awaiting him. I, I fully expect that, AJ. So that's the coverage of the games that are being played on the ice right now. But we have to give a nod to some award winners that were announced last week. AJ, let's go through the three of them. And uh, it begins with the Selkie Award for the best defensive forward in the NHL. Sean Couturier getting the win over Bergeron and O'Reilly, two guys who are perennial in, the, in this, this discussion. But Couturier outpaced them both by about 500, 600 points in, in the voting here. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to... Th- I don't want to take away from what Couturier did on on the ice during the season. I think he was deserving of this award. I do wonder if some people were more willing to give it to him because O'Reilly won it last year. Bergeron won it has won it four times over the course of you know the previous decade. So give it to somebody new. Um, I, I'm sure that had to factor in with the voters. Now again, I want to stress that I don't think it was unwarranted. Um, and that they were just picking Couturier to to pick him. He had a phenomenal season and certainly was deserving of this trophy and and should be in the mix for it, I, I would imagine, next season as well. Yeah, well, you look at the numbers that crossed the board for Couturier, and they were very impressive. A plus 21 to go with 59 points uh, and 13 power play points. Only 30 penalty minutes. He could have been in in line for the the Lady Bing Award, which we'll get to in a second. But this guy has turned into a a 200-foot player and then some uh, when you consider the fact that he has all the offensive gifts. He matched that with a very, very uh, high hockey IQ and and really a tough guy to play against. Whenever I saw him uh, on TV, he was always getting a tough assignment against teams opposing top forwards, which makes makes his productivity even uh, more admirable. So I'll say, uh, to me, again, a very worthy winner uh, over two perennial candidates. And maybe there was something to to what you said about these guys, people wanting to pivot away from the same two guys just to to move around a little bit. But Couturier did merit the victory, in my estimation, when when you look at the body of work. The Lady Bing Award, uh, typically awarded to the most gentlemanly player in the league. That doesn't mean that uh, they can't be productive offensively. And certainly uh, Matthews. O'Reilly, they they were very good in their roles for their respective clubs. But Nate McKinnon, a runaway winner in this uh, this category, combining the fact that he didn't get in too much trouble in terms of penalty minutes, and uh, certainly playing a fantastic high level uh, of 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 hockey whenever he was on the ice one of the must-see players in the league maybe the guy right now in fact and so uh, good for him for getting one of the league's uh, 
signature trophies. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I don't know Nathan McKinnon, but from all the stories you hear off the ice, uh, a really a, a, a great guy. Um, and so it seems well-deserved. You mentioned the penalty minutes, just 12 uh, this, this past season while, you know, putting up some, some ridiculous offensive production as well. So uh, I, I, I agree. I think the other two guys you mentioned certainly would have been worthy candidates. But uh, McKinnon is, is one of those guys that you want to be the face of the of your franchise that's certainly the case in Colorado and I think uh you know I mentioned this last week I think I I believe he should be featured more by the league as a whole as somebody who can be um one of the faces of the league and uh, you know as we transition away much to my uh, chagrin as we transition away from you know Crosby and Ovechkin into some of the younger guys I think Nathan McKinnon should be given uh, a, a bigger spotlight by the by the NHL that's well said, AJ. This guy's going to be around for the next decade, the leading uh, uh, leading scorer in Colorado as long as he's there, but certainly a top 10 scorer in the league. I project over the next decade and uh, can't wait to see him on the international stage too if we ever get back to that. But uh, let's go on with the final. Not tro- to see him on the international stage, Paul. <laughs> he can uh, maybe skip that tournament. <laughs> <laughs> Says the American to the Canadian. I'll take that. The Jack Adams Award, AJ, is the final one we're going to look at today, and it goes to, to the best coaching job that we saw in the season. And I stress it should be the regular season, and, and that's where the, this, there's a key distinction here. When you look at some of the names, one of the names in particular, John Tortorella, a lot of people are upset that he didn't get the win. Uh, he did take a team that was banged up and dragged them into the playoffs, so he gets a lot of credit for that. But uh, the award went uh, to Bruce Cassidy, who led the Boston Bruins to the best record in the NHL during the regular season. And he had a a slight margin over Alain Vignon, who uh, uh, presided over Philadelphia's strong season. So there were three worthy candidates here. But in the end, I think they got it right, despite a lot of people criticizing the choice. I, I... I can see where people would be upset. Uh, you know, Tortorella uh, certainly, um, you know, did some did some phenomenal things with uh, with the Blue uh, Blue Jackets this year. But uh, I do think uh, Cassidy was deserving and, and the right choice for for the winter the winner here. Um, and and I think you know he is a guy that um, I think could factor into this uh, this mix a lot moving forward, especially. If he can keep them playing competitive in in maybe a post Berger on Marchand era as well, um, we're probably still a couple seasons away from that. But it's you know closer closer than it is further away. Um, you know that's going to keep him in in the mix there. All right, partner. That's enough about the the games and the plays that we saw during the past season. But we got to turn our attention forward a little bit and have a little bit of fun before we close out this week's episode. We'll put our GM hats on for a bit bit and wrap our heads around some of the rumors that I culled from various sources of the internet and news wires and TV and radio this week to come up with the following list of rumors that I didn't make up, despite the fact that I think the first one's really got under your, under your skin right away. <laughs> so let's get to that one. As I saw something that said Pittsburgh is considering moving Evgeny Malkin and possibly to a team like Nashville for a, a 1A defenseman like a Ryan Ellis and a prospect Eli Toivonen. Now, I can see why both teams might be entertaining something like this the penguins would like to bolster their defense and and give crosby another shot at, at getting to the dance but i don't know how he does it without getting without evgeny malkin uh, as a running mate on the anchoring a second scoring line so uh, i quickly pan this rumor aj and i suspect you you're right there with me yeah absolutely i mean yes there there are um some concerns about about the pittsburgh defense but Ryan Ellis is a, a top four guy, and right now, you know, the weakest link potentially in the Penguins' top four is maybe you, you could argue Marcus Pedersen. Um, but Chris Lutang and Brian Doolin are both going to be in your top ten and or top four, and John Marino is right there as well. So, you know, are, are you willing to trade Evgeny Malkin essentially to replace Marcus Pedersen in your top four? And I don't think trading Malkin makes you any better at all. Um, the other thing I will mention about this trade through, through everything I've, I've read out there from various sources, um, you know, one of the things that Mario Lemieux most regrets is that the, the Penguins had to move 
uh, Yarmir Yager when when he was was you know the number two on the team to uh, you know to uh, Lemieux's number one, and so I don't think there's any chance that he as as the ownership would sign off on a trade for Malkin. I just don't see it happening. Um, you know, I, I think he wants to see uh, Gino and Sid, you know, retire. Uh, same season, different seasons, whatever. But both of them retire and go into the history books for the organization together, having only ever played for Pittsburgh. So uh, I, I just don't see ownership signing off on this, even if you found a deal that made sense. And this isn't one of them. But if you found one that made sense. I just don't see uh, Mario Lemieux signing off on any sort of move for Malkin. You know what? I got to congratulate you for keeping your cool on this one because I, I've, in five years of working on this show with you, I, I, I almost saw smoke come out of your ears when I, when <laughs> I first reviewed this thing with you, AJ. So good for you for keeping a lid on it because uh, we want to stay on the air. <laughs> the St. Louis Blues are obviously in the middle of a, a tough negotiating cycle with Alex Pietrangelo, their captain. And I don't know how they keep this guy in, in, on the roster with the, the cap constraints that they have. So naturally, he's been involved in rumors. And of course, naturally, being a Toronto area born player, he's linked to the Maple Leafs. And the, the rumor that I saw this past week was him coming to Toronto for uh, Willie Nylander and uh, prospect Timothy Lilligren and a first round pick. Now, I can see why both teams would entertain such a deal. The uh, Blues want to bolster their offense and uh, uh, certainly get maybe get a little bit younger on defense, realizing that they can't keep, may not be able to keep a signature player on their roster. So the, the price will be high, and uh, the Leafs would need to add a, a first-rounder into the mix to re- even make it more palatable, according to this rumor. So on the face of it, I could see it happening, but let me uh, be the first one to say I don't know how the Leafs do this and and further constrain themselves going forward because Pietrangelo is going to cost them uh, at least as much money as uh, Willie Nylander's cap hit of almost seven million dollars I don't think Pietrangelo signs for less than eight and a half in Toronto so that just makes a bad situation cap wise worse for the Leafs even though it might help them on the ice get that signature player on the defense yeah, I think the the thing that strikes me about this deal um, is that I, I think the price tag uh, or the, what Toronto's giving up in this pr- proposal is actually too high for a guy that's not under contract yet. So the fact that you're you're going to give up Nylander, Lilgren, and a first rounder basically to give yourself a month to sign Petrangelo, uh, it just seems like too much. Um, now maybe if you drop it to a second rounder maybe even a third. Again, the, the factor is the unsigned portion of it. You know, I, I don't know. Maybe Alex Petrangelo has no interest. Maybe he hates the city of Toronto. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm not suggesting that he does. I don't, I, I've never been to Toronto. You seem to like it there, Paul. So I'm sure it's a lovely place to live. <laughs> I'm, I'm not trying to knock Toronto here, but you never know, uh, you know, what sort of weird X factors fall into these. So the fact that he's not signed makes this too high of a price tag for me. Well, what, would you feel differently if they got a window, let's, let's say of two or three days to, to negotiate with them and see what it would take? I mean, I mean, that might be a part of this deal, AJ, going forward. I, I would envision something like that. The Leafs wouldn't dive in uh, without such assurance, in my opinion. Maybe if he doesn't come to Toronto, the next rumor might be of interest to you, where the Penguins, again, are are rumored to be possibly shopping Chris Letang out to make room for Pietrangelo in their mix. Would you feel comfortable with such a a switch? And I wonder what the Pens might have to cobble up to get uh, Pietrangelo, let's say, given the proviso that they do know how much it's going to cost to eventually sign him. What say you about that possibility? Well, I mean, as far as just straight up player for player, I, I have no uh, objections to swapping out Petrangelo for Chris Letang. Um, he's he's younger, offers a similar upside. Um, but you've got it. We talked off the top that they just, you know, sent uh, as I've, I've joked, they just sent Bukestad to Minnesota for a bag of pucks in order to save some money here. So to then spend an extra, you know, probably a million dollars more than they are on Chris Letang to, to get Petrangelo in. Just, I don't see how it works. And, and St. Louis similarly is cap crunch. I'm not sure they want to take on, you know, 7.25 million for the next two years of, of Chris Letang either. So look, I, 
I get that Latang has been rumored to be going, but the one thing that the Penguins did in the offseason that made me think that they're not going to do that is the fact that they brought in Todd Reardon to be the, you know, run the defense. And some of Latang's best seasons came with Reardon on the bench before he left uh, for, for Washington. And so I, I think um, you're looking at a situation here where they're trying to maximize Chris Latang uh, to the best of his abilities. Well, we're going to stick with the theme that touches on both of our favorite teams and, and our favorite players. Uh, Las Vegas, now that they're out, they've got a situation in that that needs to be addressed. Marc-Andre Fleury couldn't be happy with the fact that he was overlooked in that final series, and maybe his, he's being shopped around. I think that he certainly must be. He's got two years left on a deal that pays him $7 million cap hit each of those years, and uh, the club is pivoting away from him, it seems, to, to a cheaper option, but a guy and a guy who's younger and probably has the ability to be a frontline goalie there in Robin Leonard, as we've discussed. But uh, if Fleury goes to another club, I suspect Vegas will have to retain a portion of his salary, AJ, and that's the the key here. That that you got to find a club that's that's uh, needing a goalie, and you got to find uh, a situation where Vegas is comfortable with the return. On top, coupled with the fact that they're going to have to eat some of that deal. Well, and then they're also only going to have ten teams to pick from because uh, <laughs> Flurry has a, a modified no trade clause where he submits a, a ten team. Uh, or I'm sorry, it's the other way around. He submits 10 teams on his no trade list. So they'll have 21 teams to pick from. Um, so I, I really think it it's a tricky situation for them. You know, the reports are that they're going to give Leonard uh, a five-year, uh, five $5 million deal. Uh, so you're looking at $12 million tied up between their two netminders. So it's going to be hard, I think, for them to move Flurry. You look at the buyout numbers, they're really bad. So I don't think they're going to go that route. Um, so it, it would have to be. The problem is the 10 teams he likely includes on his no trade list are probably the 10 non-competitive teams that could afford his contract. Right. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. I, I do agree. It does seem like they are transitioning to Leonard as, as their go to guy. Um and that they are moving on from a guy that, you know, to date has been the face of their franchise. But um, we'll have to see where where somebody can can eat that contract. You're right. They'll probably I mean, they might have to retain close to half of it. Three point five million is a lot of money to pay somebody to play somewhere else. But that might be the only way to make that work. And he's not the only goalie rumored in uh, possible trade talks. Uh, Edmonton is desperately looking to upgrade their net mining situation. Koskinen and Smith holding down the jobs now, but th- with names like Flurry, Matt Murray, Darcy Kemper, and Freddie Anderson out there, the latter three have all been linked to Edmonton and possible deals. If you had your druthers, AJ, which one of these three guys would you like to see in Edmonton next year? I mean, am I talking as an Edmonton GM or am I talking as as myself? If I'm myself, I want it to be Matt Murray because I think Edmonton has a lot of stuff that the Penguins can get back in return for a deal. I, I would love to see what sort of return my team can get for, for sending Matt Murray there. Now, if I'm taking the approach as an Edmonton fan or the Edmonton GM, uh, I would like Freddie Anderson. I mean, I think he's the best of these three. It, it boggles my mind as, as a non-native to, to your fair city there, Paul, uh, why they're talking about getting rid of Freddie Anderson. I, I understand his contract is up there. He's you know a little bit older, but I think this guy's got several years left. I think he put up great. Uh, at least decent numbers this year, if not great numbers. And I, I think he's the best netminder that they're going to get. You, I don't foresee a situation in which they trade Freddie Anderson and I look at the Maple Leafs next year and say, oh, they upgraded their netminding from Freddie Anderson in the offseason. I just don't see it. You know what? Uh, that hits a nerve with me, too. I'm a, I'm a Freddie Anderson booster, and I don't like the fact that he is being shot by the Maple Leafs, but I understand why. They're trying to find ways to, to save some money uh, on their roster, and the, the, the narrative around Freddie here, AJ, that you might not be as familiar with is in, uh, in key playoff games, this guy is not delivered and for one reason or another uh, he's not had success in the postseason in Toronto Uh, I think when you look at the club this year if I can just talk about the Leafs for a sec they got shut out twice in a five-game series by a team that doesn't score very much and and 
that team didn't have the better goalie in this series, I think, when you look at it on the face of it, although Corpusello did outplay Anderson in that set. But on, uh, in terms of the body of work that those guys are all about uh, this season, I think Freddie Anderson's still uh, head and shoulders above Corpusello. It's just in that five-game set, uh, he didn't perform to that level, although he had an outstanding playoff himself. Corpusello was out of his mind, and the Leafs were shooting uh, shooting blanks all series long to make make that situation worse so while people will lament the fact that Freddie Anderson didn't win a series playoff series for Toronto in the last three years this was not one set that you can pin the blame on him and I think he deserves another chance to finish out that contract and see what what he can do for the club but I do agree with you he would be the guy that I would think Edmonton would really focus on five million dollars is something they can afford they move one of their other goalies and, and they they ride him. They upgrade their goaltending significantly uh, over over last year's tandem. But Matt Murray is, is a guy that gets second place for me. And I wonder where he's going to wind up, AJ. Uh, certainly Tristan Jarry is, is a guy they have a lot of faith in. And there's even another guy in the minors, AJ, that you can bring us up to speed for, for Pittsburgh in that goalie tandem that makes the Matt Murray possibility of moving more more possible, more likely. Yeah, you're, you're talking about Casey DeSmith Correct. there. Um, you know, heading into this season, uh, Jari was on the roster for opening night because he was about a hundred grand cheaper than Casey DeSmith. Uh, and so they needed to uh, save the, the cap space. And so, you know, then, then Murray struggles and they switch it up and uh, the rest is history there. So they, they were, you know, if, if the cap had been another $100,000 higher, I think Casey DeSmith would have been the backup for, for the start of the season this year. So there's there's definitely faith in him being the number two there. So I think they feel comfortable um, with the two guys that they got. Uh, look, it's, it's not all set in stone yet. Certainly, Jari could be the guy that they move. That's, that's still a possibility. I think it's unlikely, but... Um, they're going to move somebody, and, and it'll be most likely Matt Murray. And uh, the next rumor that I have was Oliver Ekman Larson being linked to the Edmonton Oilers, AJ. The Oilers, they have some interesting young defensemen, but they don't have that signature offensive piece. And Oliver Ekman Larson certainly has fulfilled that role in Arizona. The captain over there has been a team leader, and this is another area where he could certainly help the Oilers become part of, becoming part of that leadership group so he would check a few boxes over in uh, in uh, Edmonton if if that would come to pass they would have to come up with an interesting package though to pry such a signature piece out of Arizona but uh, the the Coyotes have made some head-scratching decisions in the past so that's why there might be some fuel to this one well, the only thing that uh, might make it harder for any sort of deal to get done is that they still don't have a GM. <laughs> uh, so that, you know, that's obviously an X factor here. Um, you know, I will also point out, I, I think Oliver ekman Larson would benefit from a move somewhere else. Um, but you're talking about a guy that is heading into the second of an eight year deal that pays him 8.25 million. Now um, that's going to look like an okay deal for, you know, the next couple of years when he's 29, 30, 30, uh, you know, 31, but when he's approaching 35, 36, are you really going to want to be paying this guy 8.25 million? I, I'm not so sure about that. So, um, you know, it's, it's a matter of what they want to do in terms of winning now or I because I, I think he can make Edmonton a better win now team. Um, but that is going to be a difficult contract to deal with uh, on the back half here. But far be it from Ken Holland to ever think about the future when uh, building out a team. We've seen what happened in Detroit after. Uh, and yeah, hey, they had a ton of success under Ken Holland. I'm not begrudging him that, but. Uh, that's clearly his mindset of, of win now, worry about the future later. And uh, money thing might not be a factor with a few teams, AJ. So there's a handful of clubs looking around the league at some of the LTIR possibilities. There's players uh, who have uh, big tickets that might not be able to fit to play going forward, but they give some some. Uh, excess capacity to teams that are willing to take that on in terms of salary cap flexibility. I'm talking about Ryan Kessler's deal, for instance. He's on the books for 
$5 million each of the next two seasons. And a team like Toronto uh, has, has really taken advantage of this, gaining flexibility from, from taking on these LTI con- contracts. They might be looking at a situation and saying to, uh, to uh, a club that owns Kessler, you know what, give us a draft pick and we'll take that money off your hands. And then they benefit, uh, both teams benefit. One team sheds uh, that albatross of a contract and the other team takes it on and makes use of it and uh, gains a, gains another asset. Yeah, I, I, that's certainly, a, a, you know, a, another um, interesting deal as well. Um, like you said, it's it's I think it's going to be less for something like that. It's going to be less about the actual cap hit um, and, and the financial side of it, like we like we've talked about. And, and Toronto's a team that can afford it. You know, they're. Uh, just this upcoming season going to be done paying uh, Nathan Horton and um, David David Clarkson. David Clarkson, thank you. Yeah, so uh, Toronto not unfamiliar uh, with the situation of of taking on some some guys and and doing that. So uh, it's definitely a a worthy uh, consideration for them. And you you think about what they did last year. They moved Patrick Marlowe's contract and they got a first-round pick. So you can imagine if a team is willing to give the Leafs a first or second round pick and in order to take on the likes of a Kessler or even Brent Seabrook, four years at eight, 6.875 million. You could imagine Chicago would like to get out from under that deal, so they'd be willing to cough up a significant asset for a club like the Leafs or another club that, with deep pockets that comes calling and saying, help us out here and you get another asset uh, as well as that flexibility. Sticking with the Leafs for one more uh, possibility, Colton Pareko of the St. Louis Blues, his name is in rumors again linked to Willie Nylander maybe part of a larger trade here this is clearly if St. Louis's heart uh, heart is set on keeping their captain they would have to sacrifice somebody else and Colton Braco is the name that comes comes up most often in a couple of deals that I saw uh, rumors that I saw this past week and Nylander going the other way let's remind our listeners that Nylander's contract while the kip it hit is about seven million a year it's been front-loaded they've paid out a lot of bonus money so his actual salary would be substantially less than the cap hit and that's an attractive feature too uh the Leafs would love to get their hands on Pareko though big right-handed shooting defenseman with some physicality to his game that would check a number of boxes there too and immediately put him in line for a first pairing role here well I think the only way this deal gets made is if they have everything and uh, you know except the signature on the the Petrangelo deal they have to know that they are absolutely 100% getting Alex Petrangelo back next season. There's, I don't think you make this deal if there's any doubt that you're going to get him to resign because you know without Petrangelo, Pareko is going to be one of their top uh, top guys next season. And so um, I, I really think they need to uh, have that deal either signed or, or about ready to be before they would move him. And finally, Matt Dumba, his name creeps into the possibilities here with the signing yesterday of Jonas Brodeen. Minnesota now has four defensemen on the books for big dollars here. And Dumba's name was floated in the past. So uh, in previous years before an expansion draft, with Vegas, we highlighted the teams and their situations, and Minnesota was one of the few teams that protected four defensemen. Do you think they would go that route again, protecting four guys with such big cap hits uh, heading into the uh, the upcoming draft with the Seattle Kraken? It's it's certainly possible. Um, what I will tell you is that uh, if they want to keep Dumba, then they don't have a choice because Spurgeon, Suter, and now Brod- uh, Broden all have... Uh, no movement clauses. And one of the things I saw yesterday is that even though his extension doesn't go in uh, uh, into effect until after this upcoming season, they the way the NHL allows these deals to be made, the no movement clause actually goes into effect now. Um, so they they can't uh, they can't move him, you know, this year and, and wiggle around that no movement clause. So uh, if they want to keep Dumba they are going to have to protect uh, four defensemen. And, and I do think, you know, there's a possibility. I, I've seen Ryan Sitter's name out there, and he would obviously have to waive the, the no-movement clause in order to either be drafted uh, in the expansion draft or to go somewhere else. Um, I, I think that's certainly a possibility. But, yeah, I think because of that deal that was signed yesterday, Dumba's name is going to start flying around the league, and, and I would expect 
uh, Bill Guerin's phone is going to be ringing off the hook of people saying, hey, are you, are you willing to move this guy? So clearly this is just a sampling of what's, what's possible in the next few weeks, AJ. There's going to be a lot of player movement, I, th- I think. If some of these rumors come to fruition, there's going to be some interesting uh, storylines around them, and I can't wait to get into them. Despite the fact that the season is winding down, we will continue with regularly scheduled podcasts, and we'll try and keep you informed about their frequency going forward. But uh, what I can tell you now is that uh, that wraps up this week's episode of Podcast Partner. Uh, you got any final thoughts? No, I just I'm excited to, you know, the I love actually watching and playing games. That is one of my favorite things. But um, I also really enjoy this kind of discussion of offseason, where guys are going to go, how contracts are going to work out and all of that. So I'm actually <laughs> kind of looking forward to, you know, we have a date now. Uh, October 9th is going to be the start of free agency. They're not doing any sort of lead-in period this year. So it's going to be two days of the draft, and then, boom, we're going to have free agency. And it's going to be a free-for-all, I think, and and really exciting to see um, what guys are forced to take discounts because of the market, what guys do get paid up, and and it's going to be exciting. And our listeners can certainly expect us to project things in advance of those dates and certainly recap them shortly after. So we're going to be uh, involved in hockey 365 days a year this year, it seems, with the schedule uh, and the way things came down with the pandemic. Fine place for us to stop. We'll remind you that uh, that wraps up this episode of PuckCast with Statsman and AJ, brought to you by PropSwap. Our next episode is going to be next Tuesday. We'll give you a progress report on the Stanley Cup final. Uh, at that point, please remember, in the meantime, to send your comments or questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22. You can follow AJ at AJScholes24. As always, we invite you to listen into PuckCast to get our tips to stay out of the competition in your fantasy hockey planning and research. So long, everybody. 